I don't know how many folks these days remember Ken Kesey, but I do. If you aren't familiar with him, you should at least read or watch One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Anyway, here's a suggestion from Ken Kesey, one of the stories in a book called Kesey's Garage Sale is an autobiographical piece about the author's son getting mangled in a car wreck. Kesey goes to the hospital and after being told the kid is dead, prays for him to revive. The kid revives. And Kesey closes the story with a suggestion that some night we're in our cabin and have settled down before a fire to smoke a joint, we might want to try reading the Bible. Prayer is a mysterious business. People often warn, be careful what you pray for, but that advice may only apply if you're trying to avoid trials and tribulation. A visiting speaker at our church told a harrowing story. As a young man, he lived in a Christian commune and worked as a handyman there. He was on a roof taking down an antenna when the antenna hit a high voltage wire and killed him. Then God brought him back to life. That very morning he had prayed for God to use him. And ever since the accident, or whatever it was, the story of that event along with the physical scars still apparent years after the weeks he spent receiving skin grafts have been his calling card in the heart of the message he uses to evangelize. In my early 20s, I took a job of teaching at a small school in a camp for boys on probation. Most of them belonged to Los Angeles and Compton gangs. The school was an hour's drive from my home, and the job required special training in teaching literacy, as many of the boys could hardly read. Months of five school days a week and Saturdays at the camp doing reports and such, along with the drive and two evenings each week of college classes and developmental reading, left me emotionally wrung out, devoid of joy, love, or even hope. My friend Laurent came to visit on his way to cross the country to propose to a girl and start medical school. He was so elated, so intense in pursuit of his goals. Seeing him like that drove me to lock myself in my room and pray. I asked God to give me emotional intensity. The next days, the next day, boys at the camp revolted. They harvested morning glory seeds and jimson weed and used them as well as gasoline and paint thinner fumes to get loaded. They beat the camp's pig, pet pig to death with sticks, stole guns from a neighboring house, and set fire to one of the camp's cabins. A few days after the revolt, I got stricken by what doctors refer to as panic disorder. Never again, God assured me, would my emotional life be less than intense. Before long, I knew plenty more about the terrors people in crisis may suffer. Writers need such knowledge. Dostoevsky might never have written his masterpieces if he hadn't gotten imprisoned in Siberia. I wonder if he landed there as a result of prayer. I mean these anecdotes neither as advice nor warnings, only to suggest that we shouldn't underestimate 
the power of fervent prayer. One of the benefits of prayer is that it can either quiet our minds or open them and allow the Spirit time to speak to us. Writing can do the same. Whether we're tickling the keyboard or taking a meditative walk or staring into space with a story drifting in and out of our minds, the process can open a door for the Spirit to enter. People have told me they would love to try writing, but they have nothing important or unique to say. Other people believe they have plenty to say, but question their ability to write. All those people are misguided, I believe. What they need to do if they want to write is begin. Because the elements of a story, poem, essay, or song often appear all at once, little by little, while we are working. When a simple idea for a character, a setting, or a conflict meets the mental and emotional processes we employ as we write. Many story writers feel that stories themselves teach them what they want to say, and the skill to express what you mean comes with experience, which every minute spent writing adds to. I mean, no matter what you hope to create, waiting is usually procrastination and a waste of precious time. If I didn't have any other reason to write novels, this one would be plenty. For the past few months, life has been treacherous. When I'm doing chores, driving, trying to sleep, cooking, or picking up after Zoe, I know, she ought to pick up after herself. Or pursuing any task but writing, my mind whirls besieged by questions and concerns. A while back, my friend Mark told me he planned to start writing again once He'd worked out some family and financial issues. He said he couldn't write with all that on his mind. I replied that most writers, if they waited for respites from such issues, would never finish a book. One solid piece of wisdom I have picked up. As long as we're thinking about ourselves and our concerns, we're in grave danger of becoming distressed and often miserable. When we turn to thinking about other people, we rise above that distress and at least have a chance to feel the emergence of joy. Similarly, writing takes us out of ourselves. When I travel from the present to live in 1935 or when, whenever my current story is set and to become someone else or my own alter ego and contend with a gang of fascinating characters, the present, with all its fears, worries, and dilemmas, can't reach me. In that world of imagination, I am free.